So every night, uh, my family and I, we have this rhythm uh, where my husband and I, we go in one by one to our children and we tuck them in. Um, and I don't know about you, if you've, ever, if you've had young children before, or if you have young children now, and that, that nighttime process takes so long. It's so long. Because apparently, during the five hours before bedtime, when I am alert and awake, and I'm asking my children a million different questions about their day, about school, how's your friends, they just don't seem to remember one detail beyond the depth of the phrase, it's good, it's good, my friends are good, school's good, I'm good. But then it's like, at bedtime, something mysterious happens and magical when I cover them up with these things called the blanket and they lay their head on this thing called the pillow. All of a sudden, all of the day's events and every single conversation in detail surfaces to, the, to their brain and they have this deep fire and passion within them to tell me every detail about it. It's amazing. I feel like I need to patent these things called the blanket and the pillow for all these parents who are just trying to have an in-depth conversation with their kid. And you know what? Throw the bed in, extra vulnerability, you'll never get them stopping. <laughs> so anyway, after, I tuck, <laughs> after we do this very long process with our kids every single night, I end my time together with them in pretty much the same way. I lay my hands over their bodies and I say, let's pray. But I don't pray with them. I pray over them. And to some extent, my prayer is always the same every night. Lord, I pray that Brinley and Landon and Allie would know you. That they would know you with a depth of love and knowledge that is real and personal and their very own. Not mine, not their dad's, but a personal, intimate relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that every day they would become more like Jesus. Father, transform their hearts to desire you and desire to follow you and not this world. Here are my two oldest, Allie and Landon, being baptized right here at Community Church in April 2019. All on their own, they wanted to do this. They wanted to express their faith to each of you, not just at home, because at home, Jesus is a part of our family. We talk about Jesus and to Jesus all the time. We lift up prayers to him when we're scared and when there's burdens, and we praise him with worship and gratitude as we reflect on, the good, on his goodness each day. And so you might be wondering, if Jesus is a part of our family and we talk about him all the time and to him and it's evident that my children have expressed faith in, them, in him, why then would I lay my hands over their bodies every night and pray that they know him? The series, From My Heart, From the Heart, is From My Heart. And today I'm wrapping up this series by sharing with you the one message that I would give 
after I knew that the gospel message had been clearly laid out. It's the message of my deepest hope and desire for every single child and adult in this room. That you who profess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that you wouldn't just believe in him, but that you would know him. Like truly know him. That you would be so filled with the fullness of God that there was power within you from the Holy Spirit that transforms your life. That you would know him so well that when you try to articulate with others what he means to you and what salvation means to you, that you would find that there weren't even words to encapsulate that relationship. That you would know him so well that you would never say, this is my religion. Because what you would have was this ongoing, miraculous, intimate relationship with your Savior that you can't get enough of, that you can't live without, that it has become breath to your soul and nutrients to your mind and body. And here's why this would be my second message. Here I am at 12 years old. I'm in the back right. That's my dad and my brother Mitch. And we got baptized all together. And that happened shortly after I made a commitment to accept Jesus into my heart. That little girl loved Jesus. I remember feeling so much love for him and what he did for me on the cross that I wanted to express it somehow. And so I went in our backyard and I found two of the thickest pieces of wood from our willow tree, and then I went in the garage, and with a hammer and nail, I hammered those two pieces of wood together to make the most jankety-looking cross that a 12-year-old could make. But I was so proud of that cross. And I hung that cross on my bedroom wall as a reminder to me of what Jesus did for me and as a thank you to God for loving me so much. But guess what happened? Somewhere along the years of 13, 14, 15, and throughout my high school career, my love and gratitude for the Lord slowly faded away. I forgot. I forgot about Jesus. I never stopped believing in him, because if anyone ever asked me if I believed in Jesus, I would quickly say, oh yeah, I believe in him but I didn't know him, you know? He was my religion, and he was a part of this huge moment and awakening in my heart as a little girl, but life covered him back up, and I didn't really know him much anymore. I had made a decision of belief in him, but then there, was, there wasn't really anything in my life that reflected that decision. And there is something extremely and radically different to know Jesus here versus knowing Jesus with the intimacy and connection that you can have when you know him within your inner being. And this slow fading away from Jesus that I experienced after I committed my life to following him, I believe is also the story of so many other people who commit their lives to Jesus too. People who say they believe, but really 
Jesus is like an acquaintance and is compartmentalized into this small sliver of their life. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we read where two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, are going through the streets of Jerusalem, and with boldness, they tell everyone they know about Jesus. And with confidence, they heal this crippled man simply by speaking the name of Jesus. And with courage and conviction, they stand before these religious leaders who are determined to stop them and silence their voice. Stop talking about Jesus. And as I read this in God's word, I'm like, who are these guys? These are not men who speak the name of Jesus like men who just believe in him. These men are speaking the name of Jesus like men who knew him, who walked with him, who lived life with him, who were best friends with him. Even the spectators and onlookers could see that there was something different going on here with these men because everyone at that time knew what religion looked like, and this wasn't religion anymore. There was this power of God flowing through them as they talked about Jesus, and it was catching people's attention. And as a result, in Acts chapter 4, 4, it says, Many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. 5,000 people became believers of Jesus after Peter and John were walking through and telling everyone they knew about Jesus. It's obvious that they are filled with the same miraculous power that was inside of Jesus that was not human. Could these men really be the same unsure and wavering Peter and John that we first read about in the beginning of the Gospels? Because there's something different here. Like they've changed. What's happened to these men? There's this transformational power that has occurred within them and no one can deny it at the time. No one, not even the religious leaders who are determined to make them stop talking about Jesus. They can even see that there's something different going on here too. And so they bring Peter and John before them. And it says in verse 7, they ask Peter and John, by what power or what name did you do this? Referring to the healing of the crippled man. And then the very next verse, in verse 8, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke, rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And this right here, this is what I want for you. This is what I want for me. This is what I want for every single person who professes that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. 
I don't want you to just believe in him. God's word says that even demons believe in him. We can be better than demons, right? I want you to know him in such a way that he transforms your life. I want you to know him in such a way that you find security in your relationship that leads you to this kind of boldness and that catches people's attention. I want you to know him in such a way that there's evidence of this Holy Spirit transforming your life and it changes other people who watch you. I want people to see that you don't just believe in Jesus, but that you know him in such a way that you begin to do things that you never thought you'd do. And you begin to say things that you never thought you'd have the courage to say. And you begin to live with such freedom in your soul from ever worrying what anyone thought about you and you would never be held back. And this Holy Spirit transformation is what I was missing after I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was a little girl. This was never a part of my life. There was no power. There was no ongoing transformation happening within me. There was no personal relationship between me and Jesus. There was none of this. So how does this transformation happen? How does someone go from zero to Jesus like this? How did the disciples get to a place where they're speaking with boldness like this? How does someone like me, who was once so far from Jesus, get to a place in my life where I'm so in love with him? And now I have the privilege and the honor to stand before you today to speak the name of Jesus with courage and boldness and Holy Spirit power within me. How does this happen? How has this happened in some of you? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know how this has happened within me. And I don't know how this has happened in some of you. Because for me, it wasn't a sermon or a podcast or a preacher. It wasn't a program or a ministry and there was no one pushing me into it or forcing my way. There was no engineering of brilliance that had the kind of power to make me change and transform and grow in this way. No one or no thing could make me fall in love with Jesus with the kind of love that I have now. I don't know how God raised this dead life into a new life, just like I don't know how God raised his dead son Jesus from the grave either. I just know that it's God. It's just God. I think, I think uh, Nike needs a new slogan. Just God. <laughs> but even though I don't know how this transformation happens, I do know when it happens. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John boldly stand before the religious leaders, it says this. When the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus, and it changed them. 
it transformed them. They were never the same. I may not know exactly how this transformation takes place, but I do know that it can only take place when we are spending time with Jesus every day. And this is what I didn't do when I was a little girl. This is why the transformation never occurred within me. I believed in Jesus, but I didn't spend time with him. Sure, I went to church with my family on Sundays, but I was only physically there. My heart wasn't really there. I went because I should. I went because I had to. I went because it was a family rhythm that we did every Sunday. And from the outside, it sure looked like I knew Jesus. But I never moved beyond my belief in him to develop a personal relationship with him. I never read his word. I never talked to him. I never invited him into my day-to-day life. I never called upon the person of the Holy Spirit within me to change me and transform me. I visited him, I visited him on Sundays. Here's a video of my daughter, Brinley. She just turned six. Jesus, you are my best friend. You always be, nothing will ever change that. Jesus, you are my best friend. You always be, nothing will ever change that. And as I look at my kids, I see them in me when I was a little girl. I see their love for the Lord in a way that only, that only kids can have. And I love it. But all I desperately want for them, more than just belief in him, is evidence of the Holy Spirit transforming their lives. I want to see them spend time with Jesus, not because they have to or because mom told them so, I want to see them spend time with Jesus because they have learned that there is nothing greater in their life than this relationship with him. I want to see them do things that they'd never thought they'd do, but they did them because they knew God was with them. I want to see them love in ways that they alone were not capable of loving. And I want to see them live in the opposite flow that this world is going. There is nothing in the world that I want more for them than this. And there is nothing that I want more for each and every one of you than this. I care about this more than their academics and their sports and their future career and any relationship that they have here on earth. Because I know what it's like to live with Jesus and I know what it's like to live without and he is the answer to everything they will ever face. But here's the thing. I can't choose this for them. I can't control this in them, although I try all the time. (laughs) I know through my own testimony and journey 
that even at the end of the day, if I bring them to church with me every Sunday and I force feed the Bible down their throats, that not even me, their mom, can make them love Jesus in this way because I don't even know how God did this within me. And here's the craziest part. Not even God will force my kids to love him. And not even God will force my kids into a relationship with him. Because what kind of loving God would force us to love him, right? It's because of his love for us that he says, you can choose me if you want to. You can choose to love me back, but I love you. And if God forced us to love him, that relationship wouldn't really be a relationship, would it? It would be more like a dictatorship, and it would feel more like a domestic violence situation than a selfless loving one. I know I'm not alone in this room today because I have read your prayer requests. I have talked to so many of you. I know that there are many of you who desperately desire for your son or your daughter or your sister or your brother or your mom and dad or your spouse to love Jesus in the way that I've just described. And so you bring them to church, you buy them a Bible, you invite them to worship nights, you try to hook them up with the cute Christian who sits a few rows ahead of you. <laughs> cute Christian, don't turn around, it will spoil mom's plan. You send them daily devotionals, or you try to incorporate the name of Jesus into every conversation with hope and anticipation that maybe, just maybe, if they come to this or hear that or talk to him or experience this or meet him, then maybe they'll experience this transformational love of Jesus in such a way that will finally make them realize that they want to know Jesus like this too. But then nothing happens. Sometimes it seems it stays the same. Sometimes it feels like your loved one grows further from Jesus. It's like they have this massive wall around their heart, and no matter how many beatings of the love of Jesus you try, nothing seems to penetrate or break through that wall of theirs. I've been on both sides of this equation. I've been the one who was hardened to Jesus, and I've also been the one trying to beat my loved ones over the head with him. And I know from being on both sides of that equation that no one can force anyone into a relationship with him. It has to be their choice. God wants it to be their choice. God designed for it to be their choice. And that statement is the most freeing and terrifying statement all at the same time. So what do you do? You do what I do every night after I tuck my kids into bed, and you lay your hands over their bodies, or you lift your hands up to the Father in heaven, or you kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven derives its name, and you pray, Father, from whom his whole, out of your glorious riches, will you strengthen Brinley and Landon and Allie, and you insert your name here, who you're praying for. With power, 
through your spirit and their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray, God, that they, being rooted and established in love, will have power together with other believers to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that they may be filled to the measure of your fullness. That is my prayer for my kids, and that is my prayer for every single one of you. And as you can see, I stole that prayer. Maybe it's the only thing that God says that I can steal. I stole that from Paul. Paul, Paul wrote this prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, and he prayed this for other believers too, not unbelievers. He was praying this for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul, who was once called Saul, a man who experienced the power and transformation of a heart that was once hard and cold and persecuting believers of Jesus Christ, to now a heart that is filled with love and joy and peace for Jesus Christ. A man like me, who once knew God here, but then was touched by the mysteries of God's ways and now knows God here. And Paul is on his knees in prison. Think about that. He's on his knees in prison while he writes this prayer. Think there's a lot of things he could be praying about. But he's praying for other believers. He's praying that they would get it too. Don't you see? This isn't religion, people. This is a relationship. And all Paul desperately wants while he's in prison is that other believers would get it too. That this amazing, intimate, rich, authentic relationship with Jesus is available to you if you want it to through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so those kids and your friends and your family and your spouse and that person that you've been discipling, I'm going to take a huge weight of responsibility off of your shoulders that was never meant to be there. You cannot save them. Only Jesus can. And you cannot force them into a relationship with him. Not even God will do that. But here's what you can do. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6-9, Paul writes, I planted the seed in your hearts, Apollos watered it, and God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be re rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers in service. You are God's field, God's building. So you can't save your loved ones, but you can lead them to their Savior. And you do that by doing what Paul and Apollos did. You plant and water seeds. And you do that by connecting them to Jesus in any way you can. You invite them to church. You invite them to Unite or student life. You invite them into your community group so that they can experience Jesus. 
or you disciple somebody. And what that means is that you invite them into your life so that they can see what it looks like to love and follow Jesus too. Or you spend time with Jesus And as you spend time with him, you become more like him, and then you take Jesus into every situation you go. And if you are discipling your children at home, if you have little ones, we cannot get lazy about this. We have to be discipling them because we are their bridge to Jesus. And right now, there are a lot of other bridges that are trying to steal their attention. And as we do these things, our loved ones will be spending time with Jesus, whether they realize it or not. And he will transform them. And as you plant and water those seeds and you wait on God and you trust him to do the growing, because he will, you keep doing what Paul and Peter and John did too. You unabashedly and unashamedly You grow and you dive deep into your personal relationship with Jesus because that is what you can control. That is the choice that God gave you. And do you want to know what happens when you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus? Do you want to know what happens when you spend time with him? You're going to grow in such a way that you're going to be so close and connected to him that when people look at you, they're going to say, she's been with Jesus. He's been with Jesus. Your changed life will be contagious. Your changed life will make others jealous for the relationship that you have with Jesus. Your changed life will make those who just believe in Jesus to say, I want a relationship like that. Can you imagine what this church would look like if we all spent time with Jesus in this way? Can you imagine what Isabella and Gratiot and Clinton County would look like? If two men can lead 5,000 people to Jesus, how many more people can we lead? The mysteries and wonders of God occur when we spend time with him every single day. And this, outside of the gospel message, is the most important message of my heart. The disciples spent time with Jesus, and they were never the same. Paul spent time with Jesus, and he was never the same. I spent time with Jesus, and I've never been the same After committing my life to Jesus, years later, I decided I was ready to begin my personal relationship with him. After I faded away and I didn't do anything to stop it, I got to a place in my life where I truly surrendered. And that's when God's miraculous work started within me. That's where transformation occurs. And that's where transformation continues to occur. Because I'm not done becoming more like Jesus. Just ask my husband. I have a long ways to go. But I know that spending time with him is the only way to shed the skin of who I don't want to be and step into who I am in Christ. 
I challenge you this week to evaluate your relationship with Jesus. Ask yourself, are you being changed and transformed when you spend time with him? And if you're not, ask yourself why. What part in your relationship do you take responsibility for? And then what are you going to do to fix that? Or maybe you don't want a personal relationship with Jesus just yet. Maybe you committed your life and you say, well, I, I do want to follow him, but just not right now. Maybe someday. If that's you, I want you to know that at one time in my life, I thought this way too. After I uh, faded away from the Lord, and uh, I, was, I was made very well of it, and I didn't do anything to stop it, I truly thought, you know, God loves me, and he'll forgive me, so someday, someday I'll do that. I just kind of want to do my own thing right now. And let me tell you something, if that's you, of all the years of my life, Those are the years I regret the most. Life without Jesus is purposeless and lonely. It's a dark place. And from personal experience, I know that if this is you, if you are someone who says someday I'll follow him or you've turned your back on him or just not right now, I want you to know from personal experience that God is pursuing your heart relentlessly. And he will continue to pour out his love on you even while you run from him. He will. Because you've already made a decision that you want to be a part of God's family. And when you're in God's family, he wants all his kids around the dinner table. So watch as he pursues you, look for him. Because his crazy, undeserving, undeniable love, it's chasing you down. And the weight of his love poured out on you, it's gonna force you to choose. Not because he's making you, but because you are gonna experience the weight and power of his love in such a way that's gonna force you to respond. So will you choose him? We're going to wrap up our series from the heart this morning with a final song. And during the song, if you do choose Jesus for the first time, or you choose Jesus in a different kind of way today, in a way that says, like, I'm ready to spend more time with him. I'm ready to grow in my relationship with him. Then would you please come before the Lord to yourself and would you invite him into your heart and would you make a commitment to that relationship this morning? And if you make that decision, would you please tell someone? Would you tell the world? Would you tell me so that we can celebrate with you and hug you if you're a hugger and, and journey with you as you begin this relationship with the Lord? And if you don't choose Jesus today or you don't choose to spend 
time with him and begin a relationship with him. I know that there is someone in this room who is praying for you. I know that there's someone in this room who's praying that someday you will choose him. And that person might be sitting right next to you. Their prayers are powerful because of their love for you and because of their love for the Lord. And all I have to say is, you better watch out because they're spending time with Jesus. Would you stand and come before the Lord this morning?